0: And I named it Angel, because it came from the sky.
1: It felt like it was coating her on the inside and on the outside. It felt like she was becoming
2: purple. That's stupid. You're not asleep. Yes, I am. Don't
3: bother me. It's time for the Appleseed, filled with stories for you and your family. And when we say stories on the Appleseed, we're not talking about the news. We're talking about folk tales and fairy tales and personal and family tales and more. And we got a lot coming up for you on this hour of the Appleseed. You'll hear a story from Bill Harley about staying up late at night. You'll hear a story from Nathalie Bajon called Emma May Met Her Match One Day. And from David Holt, a little something called The Flying Apple. Cat. But to introduce us to the first story that we're going to hear today, I'm pleased to be joined in the studio by one of our assistant producers, Lacey Ivy. Lacey, it's such a pleasure to have you with me.
4: It's good to be here.
3: I, uh, the, you know, the title of this story is very tantalizing. The, the title is <laughs> Purple Styrofoam. And I, I'm tantalized by it, not because I'm particularly interested by Purple Styrofoam, <laughs> right? But, but, but because what on earth could a story like that be about?
4: <laughs> right. I first came across this story and I was also intrigued by the title. I had no idea what to expect. But That's kind of how the whole story goes. You don't know what's going to come next.
3: Yeah, this is in fact, I guess if I were to say the whole title of the story, it's purple styrofoam improvisation, right? right. This is an improvised story told for us by Ruth Halpern, recorded in front of an audience of enthusiastic folks who are (laughs) excited about seeing the improvisation unfold. Uh, What can you do to set this
4: story up for us? Just just give it a listen. (laughs) That's all I've got. You really don't know what to expect because... Even she doesn't know what's involved in the story. Well,
3: I think anybody who has ever been in a car with a kid who says, dad, tell me a story, or mom, tell me a story, or big sis, tell me a story, and suddenly you're kind of caught there trying to think of, you know, should I tell the three little pigs again, or should I make something up? There's always Mm -hmm. this kind of little edge that you sort of walk up to, and sometimes you leap off, oh, you leap over that edge and improvise a story, and that's what happened here with Ruth Alpern, with, again, this story called Purple Styrofoam. We're happy to bring it to you. Here on the apple seed.
1: Are we ready? I'm going to start a story and I'm going to say, Once upon a time there was a, and I'm going to look for somebody who's raising their hand and I'm going to point to them. And then when that happens, you can say whatever you want. It can be silly or serious, and whatever you say, I'll take ah! that. <laughs> Whatever you say, I'll take that suggestion and weave it into the story, and we'll keep going, and who knows where we'll end up. Now, you've probably already discovered that sometimes when you raise your hand, you think you've got the greatest idea, and as soon as you're called on, it flies out of your head. So if that happens, I have two suggestions. One is try closing your regular eyes and looking through that imaginary eye in your forehead and picture what's happening in the story, and that can help you think of something. Or open your regular eyes and look around the room and say the name of something right in front of you. Either one of those can help. But don't worry about your idea being too silly, because there's no such thing. All right, everybody ready? Mm -hmm. Once upon a time, in the long ago days of old England, there lived a girl who was a collector. She collected all kinds of things. For instance, she collected what? Rugs. She collected rugs, all sizes. She also liked to collect jewelry. Jewelry. She had rings, earrings, necklaces, nose rings, all kinds of things. But her favorite collection of all was a collection she had made of magical... Um, Purple styrofoam. She collected purple styrofoam. Now, this may seem like an odd collection, but it turned out that purple styrofoam came in all kinds of shapes and sizes. She had purple styrofoam in the shape of... What? Unicorns. She had purple styrofoam unicorns. She had purple styrofoam... Animals. She had purple styrofoam? People. Absolutely. Now, most of these were no bigger than? An elephant. An elephant. (laughs) They were on the small side as far as she was concerned. I should tell you that she herself was as big as what? A giant. A giant. She was so big that frequently on cloudy days, her hair got all wet because it was stuck up in the clouds. So for her, a purple styrofoam unicorn that was no bigger than an elephant was actually quite small. Of all the purple styrofoam she had collected over the years, she had one favorite thing. It was a purple styrofoam... Sculpture. Sculpture. That looked exactly like... What? (laughs) Her. Exactly. It looked exactly like her. She would look in the mirror. She would think to herself, If only I were purple, I would look like the twin of my styrofoam sculpture. And that got her thinking. You know, if you're going to be a collector you want to have a certain amount of similarity between all the things you collect. And if she was going to collect herself, it would help if she were purple. And so she decided to go out into the wide world and find something that could turn her purple. Well, she got up that morning, ready for her journey, stepped out the front door of her own stone house and jumped on the first wagon that was going by. This wagon happened to be going to where?
5: The mechanical
1: city. It was going to the mechanical city. She had heard about the mechanical city for years. It was famous for being mechanical, of course, but it was mechanical in ways you might not have dreamed of. For instance, not just the transportation was mechanical, but also what else? The
3: houses.
1: The houses were completely mechanical, and what else? Um, I forgot. What else? Um, The animals were all mechanical, mechanical barking dogs, mechanical purring cats, mechanical singing birds up in the tops of the mechanical trees, and also... Mechanical dolls. Yes, mechanical dolls. In fact, it seemed as if the entire city was guarded by mechanical dolls, so that when she jumped down from the wagon, as tall as a giant, and walked up to the front gate of that walled city... She was saluted by a row of ten mechanical dolls, who all went clink as they raised their arms to salute her. And then the leader of those ten dolls spoke in the strangest tin mechanical voice and said ha, Which meant what? You are not welcome here. You are not welcome here. She could translate that easily enough because the doll also pointed an enormous metal sword at her. She said, Thank you for your friendly greeting And with one step, she stepped over the wall into the mechanical city. She was greeted by an enormous sound of clashing metal and banging wire and thrumming in the whole city as all the machines vibrated and did their jobs. She walked past the Central Park, through the main street of the city. She walked up to the first shop she found, which happened to be a shop which sold what? Purple foams in all different colors. Purple styrofoam and all other colors of styrofoam as well just what she'd been looking for. The door rang when she opened it, because of course it was a mechanical shop, and the mechanical shopkeeper said, which meant, What would you like to buy here? What would you like to buy here? She looked around. The walls were lined with shelves. The shelves were lined with styrofoam shapes, all the shapes she'd collected, and more. And she got that funny kind of hungry feeling that you sometimes get when you collect things like you could never possibly have enough of them. She wandered from one wall to the other. She was looking at the dangling styrofoam stars, at the arcing styrofoam rainbows, styrofoam trucks, styrofoam cows, styrofoam earthworms. She thought, I've got to have these, I've got to have all of them. Then she reached in her pocket and what did she find? Um, A ladybug. A ladybug. Her pocket was entirely empty except for one red ladybug, the two-dot kind. Well, she lifted it out of her pocket on the tip of her finger and she set it down on the counter. And it buzzed in three little circles, then spread its orange shell and flew through the back door of the shop. Well, she had to follow it. It was the only thing she'd brought with her. And through the back door of the shop she went into a place unlike any she had ever seen before. It didn't look like a storeroom, which you might expect in the back of a shop. It didn't look like a kitchen or a bedroom. It looked like a laboratory. A laboratory lined with beakers and vats and tubs and wires and pipes and steaming hot cauldrons. There was a smell in that room. A smell of what? Purple paint. Purple paint. A thick dark chemical smell so deep that when she inhaled it seemed as if her lungs were filling with purple air she looked all around for the source of the smell and in a corner she spotted it the smell was coming from what do you think a paint bucket a paint bucket exactly a paint bucket as big as what as her head as her head and she had a big head because she was a giant a paint bucket as big as her head and approximately the size and shape of her favorite hat. She picked it up, tipped it over, and dumped it onto her head. It fit perfectly. The opening of the can became the hat brim, and the decorations were oozing and cruising down her face, thick purple paint, as thick as a second skin, as smooth as a chocolate milkshake, and just the same temperature as what?
5: Her temperature inside her body.
1: Her temperature inside her body. So it felt wonderful to be coated with purple paint. In fact, it felt like it was coating her on the inside and on the outside. It felt like she was becoming purple. She liked it. She liked it so much she started to spin. And she spun and she danced and she spun and she danced faster and faster and faster until driplets of purple paint were flinging themselves off of her fingertips and splattering the walls all around her Till she was a spinning purple tornado. And in the middle of that purple tornado, she suddenly heard a teeny little bring. And she felt something change. What was changing? Her body
5: was becoming stired.
1: Her body was becoming styrofoam. Little fluffy air pockets were opening up all over her body. She felt crispy yet soft, crushable yet temperature-resistant. She felt lighter than air. And sure enough, as she spun and spun and spun, she felt herself floating off the ground, floating through the roof of the mechanical shop and up into the sky. Now, she had been big before but she had never had a view like this. The whole world was spread out below her, and from that great altitude, she saw the one spot she'd always wanted to go, which was where? Purple Styrofoam City. Purple Styrofoam City. She tipped her body to one side. The wind swept her in three long swoops down into the heart of Purple Styrofoam City, but she landed much harder than she expected she landed so hard that her toe sank down into the soft mud at the bottom of the reflection pond in front of City Hall. Right there in the heart of purple styrofoam city, an enormous purple giant styrofoam sculpture fell from the sky and planted herself in that reflecting pond, where she could always look down and see how beautiful she looked. And I'll tell you what, if you ever find that city, take a good look at that statue. ¶¶
3: Purple styrofoam, a purple styrofoam improvisation. And I got to say, Lacey Ivy, kudos to everyone. Kudos to Ruth Halpern, the storyteller, for keeping such a cool head, but also to her terrific audience, right?
4: For real. Yeah. Those kids are creative.
3: <laughs> I uh, This story had me. Right from the moment where that kid sneezed at the at the beginning of the story, <laughs> that's
4: right? my favorite part.
3: <laughs> there is all you know. There's all kinds of stuff that can derail a story, but if you kind of take it in stride and say, you know, everybody sneezes, and here we all are, and uh, forward we go, and forward they went for oh, sure, yeah.
6: right? Yeah, she
4: just took everything they gave her and. I was so impressed with how she handled that. I have no creative juice in my body to handle things like that, but I can listen. And that's my favorite part. And I really enjoyed that a lot. You you know, I
3: I love at the beginning of the story when she, when she talks to her young audience about having ideas and she says, you know, sometimes ideas go, you you have a good idea, but then it goes right out of your head. Mm -hmm. And her, uh, instruction to close your eyes and the way she described it is close your your real eyes mm-hmm. and use the eye of your imagination to just see the things that are unfolding in the story and 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 that will give you an idea or even close your eyes and then open them and then have as your idea whatever it is that you're looking at in the in in the room you know mm-hmm. but i think both of those ideas kind of bespeak a sort of attention to just kind of calming down and not being freaked out by the the pressure to to improvise you know and just taking the time it takes to gather your thoughts and let your thoughts come to you. I I, I, I liked that. I think I'm Mm -hmm. gonna try to remember that the next time I'm feeling the you know the the the, the pressure of 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 conversation or having ideas or whatever it is. Take the time to just let your thoughts come to you.
4: you Yeah I I tend to do that a lot and I think we all get caught up with all the craziness of everything around (laughs) us. But We can all take time to slow down. That's right. That's right.
3: (laughs) A little trip to uh, Purple Styrofoam City with Ruth Halpern and a group of terrific kids as her audience and collaborators in the improvisation process. There's a whole lot more coming up on The Appleseed. Lacey, thanks for being with me.
4: Thanks for having me, Sam. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne.
3: It's such a pleasure to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed. If you're just joining us a moment ago, you heard Ruth Halpern tell an improvised story about purple styrofoam to an enthusiastic audience that not only listened and enjoyed, but participated in the creation of that story. There's a lot more coming up, but because we know that the sharing of memories can sometimes be the spark that ignites a story for you to share with the people that you love, here's a memory of mine. It's a memory about a late-night dinner with my brothers it's today's entry in the radio family journal
4: the radio family journal with sam payne a tiny little story for you and your family right when you need it on the Appleseed.
3: it had been a bad bad day insert whatever kinds of things happen to you on days that you describe as bad days and you'll get the idea a bad day And I was alone. And late, late in the evening, the phone rings, and it's my brother Dave. And he says, let's go get some dinner. I know a terrific Chinese place. It's close. And I'm not at all hungry, but hey, it's Chinese food with Dave on a bad day. And he comes to the house to pick me up, and we head for the restaurant. The host seats us, and my brother Dave pulls out his phone. He dials, and it's our brother Josh on the other end of the line. I only hear one side of the conversation, but it goes like this. Hey, Josh. Yeah, uh, come to dinner with us. Me and Sam. Right now. Yeah, I know it's late. Not hungry? Come just for dessert. Yeah, they've got terrific desserts. The best in town. Come okay, see ya. Well, Dave hangs up the phone. It's small talk for a while and bad day talk, as you can imagine, and it's a while before Josh can come. It hadn't been convenient for him, really. He's a guitar player, and he had just arrived home tired after a gig when Dave had called. But, you know brothers. Brothers and the best desserts. And Josh comes into the restaurant and he sees us and he tells the host that he's with us and he walks to our booth and he sits down. Hey Josh, hey. And the wait staff is immediately there handing Josh a menu and Josh says, I'm actually not going to order from this menu. Can I see your dessert menu? And the waiter very politely but very succinctly says, we don't serve desserts, sir. And Josh looks at Dave, his eyes wide and his hands out in a what-the-heck gesture, and Dave looks at Josh and shrugs. This is the image I go back to every time I need to imagine my brothers as they are. In this image, there's a bad day for one brother and another brother who comes to the rescue and gets yet another brother to show up by hook or by crook, displaying a complete nonchalance toward the third brother's frustration at having been manipulated into coming to dinner with the promise of the best non-existent dessert in town. These are my brothers, my brothers for whom neither lack of dessert nor evening weariness are more important than being together with their brother who has had a bad day. Well, Josh does order something. He orders a big meal. And Dave gets something, and of course I do too. And we scarf down this really pretty middle-of-the-road Chinese food while the night gets darker and the day, in its last hours, gets better. By the end of our meal, I'm laughing so loudly that my brothers are looking warily around to see if we're disturbing anyone else in the restaurant. But they're laughing, too. We are different people, my brothers and I. We like different music. We have different senses of humor. We move through the world in ways that are very different from each other. But there's sacredness in rescuing each other from bad days with a dinner offer. Sacredness in wrangling each other into the same room to relax into easy conversation, joking and talking. Sacredness in sitting down to a meal together. We use the word brother for a lot of things. We sometimes use it to describe a relationship we have with someone who's not related to us, except that we're human beings, in a kind of encouragement to us to treat each other with respect and kindness and equity, which is, I might add, sometimes, but not always, how actual brothers treat each other. And I'm all for using that word in that way. But there's something between actual brothers A connection that's more complex than love or kindness. An extra bond that seems to hold us together, even when we're tricking each other into coming down for Chinese food with the promise of dessert. No one who hasn't been my brother will ever know what it's like to be my brother. Dave and Josh are the ones in this story, but also Joe and John. I'm blessed to have you as my brothers, too. How blessed? Well anyone who has ever helped a brother get through a bad day or been the brother with a bad day who has been helped through it by a brother may understand that there's no chinese food on earth that can compare
4: the radio family journal of sam payne a tiny little story for you and your family right when you need it on the apple seed
3: Thanks for joining me for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. Hopefully that sparked a memory for you. Maybe you're thinking of someone or a meal that you share that might be worth sharing again as a story with the people that you love. There's a lot more coming up, but first, how about a conversation with a friend? Stories come into our lives in so many ways, from families, passing them along, telling to telling, from the pages of great books, from radio and podcasts, through songs and the things we see on screen, and exploring all of the ways that great stories get into our hearts and minds is part of what we love here on the app. Seat. I'm joined by our producer Jeff Simpson, who has been watching movies. Well, he's like everybody else; been watching movies his whole life. Right? Oh yeah, but uh, but but, but uh, Jeff has an especially good eye. I love to talk about movies with Jeff, and uh, and the movie that we're going to talk about today is one that I s- sort of stumbled across. You know, you, you, it wasn't recommended to me. I I didn't see a trailer for it or anything. I, this is kind of a You know, scrolling through some streaming service, and I found myself watching this movie, and was completely captivated by it.
6: Yeah, and I stumbled across it because for a brief moment, I signed up for a Netflix DVD subscription, and I just threw it on there. Right? Sure. So I was like, "Yeah, why not?" Well, Taika Waititi directed this film. He's having uh, an amazing point. In his career. Oh, sure. Because he is the director of a, a very popular film right now that could win some awards or at least be nominated Jojo Rabbit. He directed the last Thor movie and will be directing another. That was kind and, of a revelation for everybody. Everybody right. kind of
3: came to that Thor movie going, yeah.
6: what on earth is this? You know? His roots are certainly in comedy. He was a part of uh, the, the television show Flight of the Concords. Yeah. And uh, what we do in the shadows, which is just this ridiculous vampire spoof. Vampires, roommates,
3: right? Right, right, yeah. (laughs) So
6: you wouldn't expect such a character-driven kind of dramedy. From somebody with such a pedigree, right? Well, the movie is
3: Hunt for the Wilder People, right? Hunt yes. For the Hunt people. for the Wilder People. Hunt
6: for the Wilder People. And this is a film that takes place in New Zealand. Surprise, surprise. Taika Waititi is from New Zealand. Yeah. And there are a lot of beautiful shots of New Zealand, so many that – you know, if Lord of the Rings isn't isn't going to convince you to go to New Zealand, this one certainly <laughs> will. Okay. But it's about this little boy who is just bouncing around from foster home to foster home, and uh, he's kind of about to get his third strike, meaning that if he gets thrown out of another foster home, they're going to throw him in juvenile detention, right? Yeah, right. And so he is put into this home by this very quirky and loving woman and her very cold husband who's played by Sam Neill.
3: Yeah, what a
6: what a revelation that was. I kept thinking and and Sam Neill kind of
3: disappears into that role, you know. Yes. The great Sam Neill and you're thinking, who's that guy behind the beard? Who who is that guy? Who is yeah, that guy? And then yeah. you figure it out. It's Sam Neill.
6: And I don't think I'm giving away too much by telling you that, you know, within the first 20 minutes this woman that You know, he's starting to actually like and, hey, maybe I could stick around with this family. She dies suddenly in the first 20 minutes of the movie. So all of a sudden you have this kind of rough-around-the-edges kid stuck in this situation with this man who does not really want to have a kid around. Yeah, And, you know, he ends up going out into the woods one day and this little boy – you know bless his heart who doesn't want to go back into the foster care system or go to juvie he decides to fake his own death and through through various circumstances they end up in the in the wilderness together on the run from authorities and they believe that uh, Sam Neill has abducted his foster child, <laughs> and hilarity and also uh, heartwarming ensues yeah. because you have these two characters that you find out over the course of the movie that need each other. They really need each other. You know, the the boy teaches Sam Neill how to read. And Sam Neill teaches this boy how to just grow up and be responsible. Right? It's a
3: delightfully low-budget film, very quirky. Right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> made for a, about five million dollars, which is nothing, right? That, nothing in the, in the in terms of making films. Yeah. And the whole thing was shot almost the whole thing was shot using a single little camera, and it's a it, it's it's just this terrific little homemade movie from a guy who would go on to make some of the biggest sort of blockbusters of 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 this little era in which we're living now, you know, Taika Waititi.
6: And he ain't done yet. And he ain't done. <laughs> yeah. I certainly wasn't expecting to be so touched by this film. I am a huge sucker for character-driven movies. Yeah. You know, anybody can make a big spectacle of a movie and show things blowing up. But to have a really tight, well-written script... That produ- that uh, presents characters that you actually care about. That's a lot tougher to do, and to pull it off in the way that you said so affordably and in a way that really ensured his future of success in the filmmaking community yeah. is just amazing. Quirky little film that is uh,
3: again so uh, so interesting and so heartwarming as you as you as you get as you settle into this unlikely relationship between the kid and the Sam Neill character,
6: both of them on the run. (laughs) It really gives you a a greater appreciation, too, of families that are willing to take in foster kids, especially if they have kids of their own already. I live next door to a family that they have three of their own kids and they've adopted eight other children. Mm. So just imagine the size of their hearts to do that. (laughs) And My hat is off to anybody that is willing to, to, I don't want to say make that sacrifice, but that is willing to open up their homes and their hearts to people that really need them it's a It's such an interesting little film
3: and 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 such a fun one to recommend. Hunt for the Wilder People these days again we 're living in an era where it's possible to find just about anything you want, right? You could go tonight and find this movie and watch it. With <laughs> I your believe it 's on Hulu for free if you want to watch it. Hunt for the Wilder people uh, a pleasure to talk with Jeff Simpson about it. Thanks for joining me, Jeff.
6: Grateful to be here.
3: great stories come into our lives in so many ways and it's such a pleasure to chat with our producer Jeff Simpson we'll be sure to have him back there's a lot more coming up in just a minute you're going to hear a story from Bill Harley about staying up late you won't want to miss it I'm Sam Payne
5: you're listening to the Appleseed we'll be back in a moment
3: welcome back to the Appleseed here's Sam Payne It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed. Up next, a story from Bill Harley about staying up late. A story in which Bill gets to figure out just what's going on in the world after he goes to bed. Well, the story is called Staying Up, Nothing Happened. Bill Harley on The Appleseed.
2: Nothing happens. That's what Jack's parents said when he asked them, what happens after I go to bed? Jack was the youngest in his family, and he had to go to bed first. His brother Will was two years older and slept in the same room, but he got to go to bed an hour later. And Jack didn't like going to bed first because he was afraid after he went to bed something happened. His mother would say, nothing happens. His father would say, nothing happens. But his brother Will would say, Everything happens. We have a party every night as soon as you go to bed. And my friends come, and Mom's friends come, and Dad's friends come, and even your friends come. And there's a secret party room in the basement behind the furnace where you're afraid to go, where we keep the party food and games. Something happens, and you are the only one who doesn't get to be there. And Jack thought maybe Will was right that something happened, even though he knew Will was just rubbing it in, because sometimes he woke up at night and he heard people laughing and talking downstairs. Even Will would be asleep. Jack could see him sleeping with his mouth open. He always slept with his mouth open. Jack thought Will looked stupid when he slept with his mouth open, but he couldn't tell him because Will was bigger and he might hit him. Jack got out of bed and he walked by Will, looked down and whispered, you look stupid when you sleep with your mouth open. He walked down the hallway and he stood at the stairs. "'Hey, Mom?' His mother would call back. "'What? What's happening?' "'Nothing's happening, Jack. Go back to bed.' "'Something's happening. Who's down there?' "'Go back to bed, Jack.' "'Are you eating anything?' Jack's dad would say. "'I don't want to come up there, Jack.' Jack would say. "'Then don't!' Jack would walk back to bed muttering to himself he walked into his room he walked by will's bed looked down at him and he said you look stupid when you sleep with your mouth open and so jack decided he was going to stay up all night and find out what happened something happened right there in the middle the magic part of the night he was sure and he was going to find out what he was missing and he planned He found a flashlight in the kitchen drawer that still worked. He put it under his mattress. He found some comic books on his brother's bookshelf. He hid them under his pillow. He made crackers with peanut butter and he put them under his mattress too. He was ready to stay up all night. He felt like an explorer in his own house. No one knew. That night, as soon as his mother said it was time to go to bed, he ran upstairs and put his pajamas on. He didn't want his parents to suspect anything, so he did everything they said. He kept his socks on so he'd be ready to find out what happened when he got up at night. He brushed his teeth and climbed into bed. His father came in and said, I'll read you a story. No, I'm so tired. I'm going to sleep right away, Dad. His father pulled up the covers to tuck him in, looked down inside the sheets and said, Hey, Jack, you didn't take your socks off. Yeah, I know. My feet are cold but those socks are dirty. Yeah, but Dad, uh, uh, dirty socks like keep my feet warmer. His father said goodnight. When his father went downstairs, Jack got out of bed and looked out the window of his room on the front yard and street. Where were the people that were coming to the party? Were they going to bring presents? Which one of his friends got to stay up later than he did? Probably all of them. He watched and he waited. Nothing happened. He heard his brother come upstairs. He ran to the bed and he threw himself under the covers. Will came in the room. Will said, that's stupid. You're not asleep. Yes, I am. Don't bother me. You can't be asleep and talk to me. Jack said, mom says you talk all the time in your sleep. Jack closed his eyes tighter. He heard his brother get into bed. The table lamp went off. He opened his eyes a little bit. He could see Will. And after a while, he saw Will's mouth open.
3: He looked stupid. He was asleep.
2: Jack got out of bed and waited. Nothing happened. He looked out the window. Nothing happened. He got out some of the crackers from under the mattress and ate them. Still, nothing happened. No doorbell. No cars pulling up. No friends. Nothing happened. He was getting bored when all of a sudden he heard footsteps coming up the stairs. His father's footsteps. He ran to his bed and he pulled the covers up. He closed his eyes tight. His father was coming down the hallway. Oh, his father knew. His father knew that Jack was trying to stay up all night. What was he going to do? He heard his father come into the room. He closed his eyes tighter, closer to Jack. His father knew. He felt his father sit on the bed. His father knew. And then Jack felt his father lean over him and kiss him on the cheek. And he heard his father say, I love you, Jack. And Jack thought, I didn't know he did that. And then his father got up off his bed. Jack opened his eyes a little and saw his father walk over to Will's bed. And his father leaned over Will and he gave Will a kiss. And Jack heard him say, I love you, Will. And Jack thought, Oh, gross. His father left. Jack sat up in bed and thought, when do I wonder why he did that. Jack heard his father in the bathroom. Jack heard his mother come upstairs. Jack heard his mother in the bathroom. Jack heard them talking on the other side of the wall
1: in their bed. <coughs>
2: was quiet something was about to happen he had never heard it so quiet in his house before a car drove down the street something was about to happen he got out of bed and he ran to the window he saw the car drive by he sat and waited nothing happened maybe his parents had snuck downstairs he tiptoed over and got the flashlight from underneath the mattress He tiptoed by his brother's bed. His brother's mouth was open. You look stupid when you sleep with your mouth open, he said. The hall light was on. He walked down the hall. His parents' door was a little bit open. He tiptoed down the stairs and sat on the bottom stair. Nothing happened. Jack walked into the kitchen. The clock ticked. Nothing happened. He opened up the basement door and turned on the light into the basement and went down the stairs. Each stair made a big squeak. He tried to be quiet. When he got to the basement, he was glad he had his socks on because the basement floor was cold. He turned on the flashlight and shone it back behind the furnace. Very carefully he walked closer and closer, looking for the door to the magic room his brother had told him about. There were cobwebs, shadows. It was hard to see, but he had to go back there. He squeezed back behind the furnace, cobwebs in his face. It was dark. He put his hand on the wall, feeling for the door. There was a sound behind him. There was a rumbling and a clanking. Jack was stuck. What was it? Then he realized it was just the furnace coming on. Jack could feel his heart pounding as he stood there. But nothing happened. He shone the flashlight up and down the wall, and there was no room there. Jack thought about his brother, Will. He climbed out from behind the furnace and went back upstairs. In the kitchen, he decided he was hungry. He turned on the light. Jack poured a bowl of Cheerios and put milk in them and ate them. And When he got to the bottom of the bowl, there was more milk, so he put in more Cheerios, but then they needed more milk. He ate three bowlfuls, and at the bottom of the bowl, Jack looked at the Cheerios floating around in the milk. They looked just like Will's mouth. He wondered how many Cheerios would fit in Will's mouth. He had a big mouth. Jack filled up two bowls, and he carried them upstairs. He tiptoed into their room. Will was sleeping. Jack held out a Cheerio, just to test it. He held it over Will's mouth, and then he stopped. He might choke. Something might happen. So Jack put the Cheerio back in the bowl and carried the bowls down the hallway. He got halfway down the stairs... When one of the bulls started to lose some Cheerio, so he tried to catch him with the other hand, but there was already a bowl in that hand, and that hand dropped the bull, and both bulls dropped, and they clattered down the stairs. They made so much noise, everyone would hear. Jack ran down the stairs. He hid behind the couch. Nothing happened. He waited. Nothing happened crept up the stairs, and he got the bowls. He scooped all the Cheerios back into the bowls and took them back into the kitchen and put the Cheerios back in the box. Jack waited. Nothing happened. He sat in the living room. Nothing happened. He sat in the dining room. Nothing happened. In the kitchen, on the back steps, on the front steps, in the bathroom, he didn't flush. Nothing happened. Standing, looking out his window in his room, when was something going to happen? Everybody was missing the party, looking out his window, and then something happened. Jack saw it happened. He saw the sky turn color. He saw clouds turn bright pink, then gold. Then down at the far end of his street, he saw the sun come up. He turned and looked around. His room wasn't dark anymore, it was daylight. He'd stayed up all night. Nothing happened. He saw his brother. His mouth was open. He ran down the hallway and into his parents' room. Jack was about to wake them up, and he looked down. His dad was asleep, and his dad's mouth was opened. He looked just like Will when he slept. Jack had never noticed how much his father looked like Will. He was going to tell him, "'You look stupid when you sleep with your mouth open, Dad.' But then he remembered what his father had done. Jack leaned over, and he gave his dad a kiss on the cheek, and he said, I love you, Dad. His dad opened up one eye and looked at him. Guess what, Dad? His dad said, What? They stayed up all night, and guess what? What? You know what? Guess what? What? Nothing happened, except the sun came up. Jack's dad rolled over and went back to sleep. Jack went downstairs. He got out a bowl, and he filled it with Cheerios. And he carried it upstairs into his room, and he climbed onto his brother's bed, straddling his brother, standing over him, holding the bowl over Will's head. He said, Oh, Will! Oh, Will! Will rolled over and looked up at him. What are
3: you doing up there?
2: Guess what, Will? What? I stayed up all night, and guess what? What? Nothing happened, and guess what? What? You look stupid when you sleep with your mouth open. And Jack tipped the bowl of Cheerios over so they fell down onto Will, and Will started to laugh. Jack looked at his brother, and he said, What's so funny? Will said, Breakfast in bed, and Jack started to laugh too, and they sat there on Will's bed, and they ate all the Cheerios. And from that day on, Jack didn't worry about missing anything at all at night. Because the night he stayed up,
3: nothing happened. Bill Harley with Staying Up nothing happened here on the Appleseed. There's a lot more coming up, including this story from Nathalie Vachon. It's called Emma May Met Her Match One Day. Here it is on the Appleseed.
5: Emma May met her match one day. Who'd have thought she would make such a friend? It was an uneventful day till she went the wrong way and took a left, not a right, past the bend. So there was Emma May, thinking about how she lost her way "'when she saw a boy lying face-down on the ground. "'Not exactly sure what to say, she called out, "'Um, h- hello, are you okay?' "'In return, not a movement, not a motion, not a sound. Oh, "'He must be badly hurt lying there in the dirt, "'so Emma ran and plopped down by his side.' She was just about to shake him when he grumbled, "'Ah, go away! You're mistaken!' And her heart fell away like the tide. Emma turned around, her whole body a-frown. She just wanted to make her way home. And as she started to leave, she heard a voice from a tree saying, "'Ah, he's just grumpy that way. Please don't go.' Emma turned back around to see a boy smiling down, a few teeth missing from his welcoming grin. He was up in a tree with binoculars to see the festivities that were about to begin. So he made his way down, his pant legs up around, his knees and his glasses not quite straight on his face. He faked a little fall so she knew, above all, that humor took precedence over grace." "'but he landed with style, standing tall and all the while "'extending his right hand out towards hers, "'and as if to say the most important line of a play, "'he cleared his throat, said, "'My name's Thomas. What's yours?' "'Well, of course,' she replied, "'and from that moment they were tied like two fish in the very same sea.' And over there, that's Ned. Today he's just got a big head because he beat me to the very best seat. But if you'd like, now follow me and we'll be right on time to see the long-awaited speech from the mayor. It's a monumental occasion for a type of milestone situation, so everyone has gathered in the square, side by side. Up they climbed. Tom was looking to find a low branch for two with the very best view. When the perfect spot was found, Thomas pointed straight down, and they were speechless for a moment, if not two. There were ants four miles, in clusters and in piles, with banners, kazoos, and tambourines. And as the mayor stepped to the podium, there was absolute pandemonium while the backup dancers finished their routine. And as the mayor began to speak, testing one, two, one, two, three, a hush fell over the crowd. Dearest aunts, uncles, friends, and families alike, LISTEN, AND I WILL TELL YOU WHY I AM SO PROUD. IT ALL BEGAN ONE DAY, A PICNIC FOR THE PTA. A WATERMELON WAS LEFT BEHIND, UNATTENDED. A SPECIAL TASK FORCE WENT IN WITH THE STRONGEST WOMEN AND MEN, AND THE aforementioned MELON WAS THUS APPREHENDED. Under swings, through the trees, down past the ravine, we brought that water-ball back to the hill. Then, with absolute generosity, not to mention velocity, each ant offered each of their every single skill. Contractor Dan had the plan and the mining began. Shep built steps. Newt constructed a chute. Anil with his drill made two openings and bill led the efforts in tunneling through with shovels and picks they carried they flicked fleshy pink pieces went flying through the sky kids made slushies moms made juice robert sculpted a moose and aunt maud made her famous melon pie the National sumo team arrived on the scene, eating past the pink, through the white, right down to the green. Then, accident-prone Drew, sawed that melon in two to watch half of it tip, roll, and land in the stream. Mortified by his slip, he watched that melon like a ship, "'drift away past the hill and disappear. "'Oh, poor Drew was heavy-hearted, it's true, "'until the unfolding of this mix-up came clear. "'Summoned right away, with directions to survey, "'the flying ant force located that runaway boat. "'It was found in a bay, and my fellow ants, I must say.' We discovered paradise and transportation to boot. So put those pickles away. No more paddling today. We've got the SS Titanic come aboard. When you dock, there you'll find the biggest leap for all of ant kind. No more anthills. We got condominiums by the shore. "'There are pools and spas to turn your ooze into ahs. "'We have palm trees and trampolines, too. "'The crickets will serenade while you doze in the shade, "'and it all happened thanks to accident-prone Drew. "'From that mistake we did succeed, and have been busy indeed. "'And as mayor, there is one thing I did find.' Carrying things ten times our size is hard work, and I realized we may need a little help to unwind. So, my gift, back to you, for all the hard work that you do, is a getaway any time that you need. He bowed in thanks, said, Good day, and as the mare walked away, the ants erupted with glee emma and thomas also cheered but ned merely sneered ah what are you two tree birds squawking about i ran to get the best seat and all i can see is a piece of watermelon and some ants all around what do you mean said emma may did you not hear what the mayor had to say "'Did you not see the costumes, hear the music, read the signs?' "'No,' said Ned. "'I think you've both lost your heads. "'This was all an enormous waste of time.' "'Emma looked at Tom, confused. "'Was she wrong to have seen what she saw, so she thought? "'Her head started to spin, so Thomas gently stepped in, with something that he was once taught. Doubt we don't need. What we see is what we see, and no one will see things exactly as you do. So the question is not whether he's right or you're right, but are you enjoying your view? I think you saw flying ants and you heard the ants chant, and Ned... "'saw a piece of garbage on the ground. "'But no matter what he has to say, "'there is no need to sway. "'If you like the world, you have found.' "'Emma's smile grew, "'and she wished as big as the moon "'that she could stay here for an awfully long time. "'She was loving this view, "'on a branch built for two, "'with a friend she was so happy to find.' You see, the way that life goes, oh, we just never know. Two wrong turns can make everything right. Emma met her best friend left, not right, past the bend. And well, Drew became a hero, accidentally, overnight. <laughs>
3: Emma met her match one day here on the Appleseed. We're going to wrap up today with a little something from the wonderful storyteller and musician David Holt. This is a little something called The Flying Cat
0: here on the Appleseed. Judy Davis told me about a friend of hers named Ruth who loved cats. Last year, about a week before Christmas, a scrawny little abandoned kitten came to her door. She took it in, fed it, and decided to keep it. She put out a litter box and kept it indoors for a few days so the kitty would know that this was its new home. On Christmas Eve, she let it out in the front yard for the first time. The kitten walked down the front steps and started playing in the yard. Just then, the neighborhood pit bull came running down the street and chased the cat all around the yard. To get away, the kitten climbed to the top of the tallest, thinnest tree. Ruth was furious. She yelled at that dog, Get out of here! then tried to coax the kitten down from the top of the tree. Here, kitty, 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 come on down. It's all right now. Come on, kitty. But the kitty just looked down and started crying. Meow, meow, meow. It sounded so pitiful. Ruth could see that this was hopeless. Pretty soon, her husband came home from work. She said, Honey, get your ladder and see if you can get our little kitten out of that tree. He brought out his ladder and leaned it up against the tree. He climbed to the top rung and reached up but he was still a couple of feet below the cat. He said, now, come on down. Come on down to my hands, kitty. This is your last chance. Come on down. Here, kitty, 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 kitty. But the kitty just looked down and pulled back. Meow, meow, meow. He called to his wife. Honey, I got an idea. Uh, Get some rope out of the garage and bring the car around to the front of the house. Ruth backed the car around to the front yard. Her husband took the rope and tied one end about halfway up the tree and tied the other end to the bumper of the car. He said, Okay, now, just drive forward very slowly. One foot on the brake, one foot on the gas. The tree's going to bend over, and I'll grab the kitten out of the top of it. She said, But you're going to break my tree. He said, No, it's a young, thin tree. It'll bend a long ways. It'll be all right. Just drive real slow. She started moving forward. The tree was bending over just as he had said, the little kitten hanging in the very top branches. He was just about to reach up and grab the cat, When the rope broke, the tree went flying forward. The kitten went shooting out of the top of that tree like a bullet, flailing its little legs like a windmill. Over the top of their house, the next house, and then it disappeared. Ruth and her husband were sick. They combed the neighborhood, but they couldn't find their kitty. Sadly, they went back home. A few days after Christmas, Ruth was in the grocery store. She saw her neighbor Dorothy there in the pet food section. She said, Dorothy, what are you doing buying cat food? I I always thought you hated cats. Dorothy said, the strangest thing happened to me on Christmas Eve. I was at home alone, feeling kind of sorry for myself, no one to share Christmas with, when I decided to go out back and do some yard work. It usually makes me feel better. I was just raking some leaves there, praying somebody would come visit, when all of a sudden I heard... A screaming sound get louder and louder. I turned around, and a cat came flying out of the sky over the top of the house and hit me right in the face. Now, you know I don't like cats, but I'm going to keep this one. I figure it's a sign from God. And I named it Angel, because it came from the sky. The flying cat, told for you by the great storyteller
3: and musician David Holt. And before we go, we want to remind you that uh, until October 15th, we're all participating in a service project, or rather 10,000 service projects. We hope you'll join us. You can find out more at byuradio.org slash service. We hope you'll join us to make the world a better place during this special service push. And, of course, I'm Sam Payne, and our producer is Jeff Simpson, and we can't wait to be with you again on The Apple Seed.
4: Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you
6: by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.